Welcome to the Portland Real Estate Podcast, Oregon and Southwest Washington's number one show for real estate news and information. Without further ado, here are your hosts and a couple of guys who as busy realtors and successful brokerage owners know a thing or two about real estate. Steve Nassar of Premier Property Group and Joe Fistolo of Soldera Properties. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Today is a great episode. We have Justin Harnish back again with us for the second or third time. This is episode number 145. And what we're talking about today is a lot about the our market, the high-end market, what he sees, what's going on. We might focus in a little bit about Lake Oswego and some of the things going in and around the lake. So welcome back, Justin. And I'll have Steve introduce him. My name's Joe Fostolo with Soldera Properties. And Steve, my buddy and co-host, is going to introduce Justin. Steve Nassar with Premier Property Group. Take it away. Hey, awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. Great to have Justin back on. He's one of my favorite guests. He's just a consummate professional in our industry. He operates at the highest level and is always just a great interview. I, I remember your first interview. Unfortunately, I wasn't on the first. This you have, but this is your third time, I believe, Justin. The first time I, I had a conflict, I wasn't on, but man, you brought some cool stats and you just you always put a lot into everything you do, Justin. It's a lot of your success. One thing I wanted, I was thinking about as I was getting ready for this interview is, you know, I've now done this podcast. I started with Tucker in 2015. So we're coming on, you know, seven, eight years of doing this podcast. And there's, there's times, there's a lot of times when this podcast, you have filler info, right? You know, times are good. Market's kind of stable. And so we get on here and we talk about the happenings in real estate. And sometimes it's, you know, oh, the love letter, is it going away or is this coming? Or, you know, with Portland Energy Score, what does that mean? And during those times, you know, you have an audience and they're grateful for that info. But what I kind of appreciate is, is you're keeping your audience around for those really big moments. And the last time you were on, Justin, was when COVID hit. Remember that? Oh, yeah. um, no, I and, forgot about that, actually. What was COVID? <laughs> <laughs> and and, and it, it's those moments where our audience just piles in. Like, it, you know, your numbers of listeners goes spikes through the roof. It's great to have guys like Justin around and Randy Sebastian and others who are, are, are quick to jump in and go, you know, I, you know, I didn't need to be on a bunch of episodes talking about love letters, but man, there's, there's, there's big stuff happening in the market right now. And this is one of those moments. And so it's awesome to have you here. And this is really what the podcast is about. And those filler times are so that we have this platform when these big things happen, Does if that makes sense to everyone. So Justin, thank you for being on and, and welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. I will say I'm sitting in the same chair. <clears throat> I was two years ago when we first did this, or when we second did it, but it was during COVID. And I remember sitting here thinking, we were all sitting here thinking, where where's this going? Where what are mm -hmm. we doing? What's happening? And to think what happened, we all know what happened in the marketplace. But I think what happened that I think is one of the coolest things is the broker to broker respect, the broker to broker communication. 
the broker to broker sort of support that has happened that came out of COVID. I, I mean, we need each other. We needed each other then. We need each other now. And I just feel like that generally, I'd say 98% of the people that I'm dealing with are good, solid. You know, there's a lot of new people. We can talk about that. But the brokers are are there to get a deal done, to work together, to represent their clients, to represent the industry. And I just feel like COVID really helped that kind of sort of ego check people. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Well, and, and something similar is happening to, on some level now. It's it's different than COVID. It's always different, right? You, it's pretty rare that you have the same crisis tw- twice or same changes in the industry twice, but there's similarities, right? There's similar patterns. And yeah, go back a year ago, t- middle summer of 2021, we were all so busy and we were and life was good. And, and, you know, you don't have a lot of time for that camaraderie or, and it's just different, right? But it's like, we all become a band of brothers when times are tough and we're like, Hey, is this happening to you? It's kind of weird. I mean, I, I called you Justin a month ago. Cause I was, I've got a three, $3 million listing. It's three. Now it was three and a half before <laughs> we've been on the market now for 10 weeks we had a couple showings the first two weeks and then it was nothing for six, seven weeks. And I, I had a call with my seller to talk about, you know, strategy, pricing, everything, you know, just a check-in call. And before I did that call, I called you. I was like, what are you seeing? And it helped me with that call. But that's that's the cool stuff that really surfaces during times like this, right? Well, I think I think we always have to take that call and we always have to be real on that call, right? It doesn't help for me to sit there and go, oh yeah, man, we're crushing it. We got so many showings. I don't know what to do. You know, because mm-hmm. it's completely false <laughs> and it, mm-hmm. it wouldn't help you. It wouldn't help the industry. It wouldn't help the community. You know, we all we're all going through the same thing at the same time. You know, nobody's doing any better than anybody else. You know, what the difference is, is it, it's volume now. Right. I mean, we're going to see a lesser volume because demand has stepped back and supply hasn't really changed. You know, demand has stepped back a little bit. So, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're just going to have we have to recalibrate our expectations from for our sellers, for our buyers and for from broker to broker. Yeah, we got to we got to think we got to just communicate more and be honest with each other. It doesn't help to to Mm -hmm. to act like the world is so great with me and not with you, not for you or you. Mm -hmm. What are you seeing, Justin? I mean, you 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 are pretty heavily focused on the higher end, even though I think I recently was looking on Zillow or something. You did have something that in the in below a million was interestingly enough are we'll, you, sell, we'll are, sell anything we got one coming up below a million in lake oswego i mean we've got you know i mean we write offers you know below a million all the time and we don't list as many but we it's not like we're not looking for those listings we certainly would love them because they're the they're the ones that are selling right now true story. I, you know, i'm just i'm seeing what everybody else is seeing you know i mean at, at the upper end it's it's the same thing people are a little bit kind of sitting back and waiting, see what happens. You know, I don't know that I would sit back and wait if rates are going to go up. It doesn't make sense to sit back and wait and know that the rates are going to rise. I'm hearing now that possibly this fall, they might come back down. So to what level, who knows? But at the upper end, you know, you, you just have, you have a little different mentality, maybe a little bit different need. Maybe the need is not to get into a home right away because my kids are going to school. It's more of an investment and a lifestyle play. So I'll mm-hmm. sit back and if I can sit back and wait and watch that market, you know, soften a little bit, I can do that. You know, that mm-hmm. that family that's looking to buy a house that needs to get in before school is going to be have a very different urgency and a very different mentality. So 
Some of I those was are thinking the, that too, Justin. That's some interesting. Of those, some of those are at the yeah. higher end, you know, where someone comes in and says, Hey, my lifestyle is this and I, and I got to get into school and I'm going to go buy this house. And we've seen a couple of those in the West Hills where we haven't seen a lot of sales. There's been two or three. And if you talk to the broker, it's like, it was a perfect match. It was one, one and done. You know, it, it was one of those got really lucky type of buyers where the rest of us that are holding inventory up there are not seeing a lot of action at all. Mm-hmm. That was a, I was going to bring that up to you. Cause that's a, that's, I think an observation I've made is, and I, I don't think I'd ever thought about this before until recently is, is a luxury home. And, and I don't know where you define luxury say 2 million, maybe, maybe a little higher. Is it ever a must buy situation? Right. And, and, and I'm sure there are a few exclusions and situations where it is but i think to your point it it is kind of just that it's a luxury purchase right well, it's, it it just depends you know there's people that exist in every i tell my kids whenever you walk into the room there's somebody who has more money than you there's somebody who has less money than you and there's somebody you know and and has a different lifestyle than you and a lesser lifestyle than you so just be open minded it's the same thing in real estate right there's people who are used to living i mean their lifestyle because of what they earn is it's different i mean four and a half million dollars is their is their budget because they can afford it and they're used to it so once they're used to it then it's like okay i'm not going to go down and buy a two million dollar house when i can afford a five i'm going to go buy a five okay and and let's let's carry that thought through so okay let's say you're in a four and a half million dollar house today and you're looking around and there's some storm clouds on the horizon. What is the scenario? And, and let's say that four and a half million dollar house is in Portland. What's the scenario where you need to jump to something different? That's kind of what I'm talking about. Now, a relocation, I could see, okay, I'm, a, I'm an executive. I'm a big deal, you know, with a high income relocating. I got a killer job in Portland, you know, Nike, whatever. But do they have to buy that four and a half million or or are those people going, you know what, I've got the means. I could rent something for a long time that's on the higher end. I could maybe I could buy a two million step back for a little while. I mean, again, I'm not saying across the board that that's the case because I'm sure stuff is still moving. There is some stuff selling, but I just think there is a propensity that you see that must buy situation in the lower price points. Does that make sense? Well, Would you agree and, with and that? I think that I think you're probably what you're seeing there is probably fish in the pond, right? There's a heck of a lot more urgency at a lower price point because there's a heck of a lot more demand. There's less urgency at a higher price point because there's less demand. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at and I didn't I didn't prepare any stats for today, but if you just look at what last year's volume of three to $5 million sales compared to this year's volume, just in, just off the cuff. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's pretty different, right? Mm -hmm. After that stock market initial 20% wipe off, it's like, okay, those people at the upper end did back down a little bit and the urgency kind of stepped back because the economy stepped back. So people were, you know, that $2 million buyer was now looking at, at one five or, you know, or below, or, you know, two and a half now looking at one eight or whatever the rates then impacted. And when you're looking at a higher price point, and then all of a sudden your interest rates, you know, over the course of time double and your ability to purchase, but yet your taste level 
is looking at two and a half, but only able to now afford responsibly at the one eight level, there's a real disconnect in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. You know? And I mm-hmm. think that the the sellers sellers want to believe that the market is still in their favor. Buyers really want to believe that it's now in their favor. And that disconnect, how long that lasts, that that I always say it's like Velcro pulling apart. You know, the, when you as you're pulling it apart, it's hard to do. But once it's apart, it's a little, you know, it's easy. So I, you, there's that point in time. And I think it was about 30 days ago where I really felt this disconnect, like sellers really wanted to believe they were it was still totally in their favor. And the buyers were going, OK, let's negotiate. But now I think people are getting a little bit more used to the fact that it's time to negotiate. Yeah. What's uh, what's what's most interesting? Sorry, I'm having camera issues. I think my camera overheated and you can't see me when I want to jump in. Something you said earlier about COVID, which I thought was fascinating, is during COVID, you know, our company and our brokers had personal bests. They were selling like crazy. And, and that's an unlikely time that you would expect that to happen. And now, two years later, we're sort of out of the woods with COVID. Everyone feels safe. We're meeting, you know, in real life together without masks. But what's interesting is I think the the tipping point was when the rates kicked up three quarters of a point, seemed to be hitting the brakes. And Justin, in your clientele, you know, you see a lot of cash buyers, you see a lot of people that it's not their full-time home, you know, it's their second or third home. But with this rate hike of three quarters of a point, do you think that was kind of the turning ground? Because even though it doesn't affect cash buyers, cash buyers don't want to jump in when they think the market might be settling. They don't want to be the guy that bought in 2008 when you know, they bought at the absolute peak and it just went down from there. Well, if you think about this, Joe, because and I've had this conversation several times, if you're a cash buyer who in the last 18 months has been competing and losing, and even though your cash, your cash was not very strong in the last 18 months because rates were so strong, buyers could overpay and outdo cash, right? If you're a cash buyer right now going in the, in the, the, the rate hike was to halt the economy, right? That's the whole point. So it wasn't just interest rates. It was, let's slow the, let's slow the roll, right? It worked. So, <laughs> right. So the roll is, is the, so the roll is slowed. It's working. They rates go up again. You know, they probably go up again and it slows the economy trying to get below the inflation line. So all of that stuff, you're a cash buyer sitting there going, okay, I just got beat out so many different times. I, and now my power is about to totally shift as a buyer, right? Now that cash is a heck of a lot more powerful going into the next phase of this market. Now, I would sit back and say, if I could, let me see what happens here. Now, the timing of that is a whole conversation. Where is this going and how how much effect will we have or how much effect will this have? The thing that I've been saying for the last six months, even before rates went up, is I was just saying, hey, rates will change the market. Inventory will affect the market, right? So rates have changed the market, but we are still in a low inventory environment, right? Generally, every price bracket has less inventory than normal. And so we're still seeing, we're not seeing the competition. I'm not trying to say that that's still happening, that the overpaying and the, and the you know, the going nuts 
and the seven offers and on one house. There will be that story here and there, but not on every house like we were seeing. But we just sold a house today and four brokers called yesterday and said the other four houses that are in this price bracket are all sold. This is the last one of two. I got to get my buyer in, right? And we we put the deal together today, but those four people are still out there and now there's one left in that neighborhood. So What was the price point, Justin? 1314. Okay. Okay. But that's but but so so there's still an inventory issue. Full price is a very good offer today, right? There's no question about that. You know, maybe not at five ninety nine, where you still have you know six seven people that are. It's fighting still a good it. offer, five ninety nine. <laughs> right. I mean, it's true. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, we're yeah. we're all dealing with it that the the that the absolute paradigm shift of panic and urgency and overpaying to hey, I'm going to be I'm going to be a little bit smarter. I don't have the power as a buyer is it's on but it's healthy right i mean we all agree it's we could not sustain what was happening before it just didn't make sense that trajectory was way too steep i personally think i personally think the stock market has played a bigger role than mortgage rates on the higher end and maybe maybe they're equal but you know when you think about cash buyers they might show you a bank statement with 4 million or 5 million in it there's other statements probably with stock portfolios that are much larger, you would think in most cases. Most people don't just keep their cash in cash. And as that's shrinking, they're worried. That's a big deal to them. And, and it's interesting. You said something. I want to I run with it, Justin. You said when you were talking about your kids going in a room, there's somebody with more money, there's somebody with less money. We're seeing right now the ultimate most money version of this with Elon Musk, right? He was buying a $50 billion toy, if you want to call it, right? Luxury item, Twitter. He made the offer back in April. And it's interesting as I follow this, a lot of it is very similar to what we live and breathe in our world with due diligence and earnest money, put a billion dollars of earnest money down. As soon as he put the deal together, and this is, you know, this is a guy that recently, up until, you know, recently was a 200 billion plus guy, right? Then everything started tanking. His Tesla stocks, all his, everything he owns was going down and he got nervous. And so, so in his inspection period, which he, he had waived his inspection period, if you, if you pay attention to the details, but so he tried to manufacture one and said, well, you lied in your disclosures about the bots and you know how many fake accounts there are. And now they're going to court and it's being expedited. And by all accounts, he's, he's not looking good in his side. But my point is to what you said, right? That's his luxury purchase with a lot more zeros on it. But we're seeing similar things happening on $4 million houses, $3 million yeah. houses, right? Yeah. It's going to take longer. There are going to be fewer buyers. There's going to be fewer traffic, you know, before you had all that traffic and demand because there was the rate buyer and there was the cash buyer. And so the rate buyer was the one stretching to get there, right? Which, you know, hey, I can buy three and a half. Why don't I go to four, two? I can, I can get there. I'm, you know, I can get under 3% or whatever. And so the rate buyer has gone away or has ratcheted down. The cash buyer has said, I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be more diligent. You know, and see if I could stretch my dollar further. And they're a little bit fewer now. I mean, there was so much money and so much cash. You guys know this experience it too. I mean, think about last year's volume, the amount of volume, the amount of cash, the amount of 
transactions that happened in 2021 in our area is staggering. Mm-hmm. It's staggering. We're all having good years this year, but last year was double. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I mean, it's it's crazy to think, right? Yeah, it's just crazy. It, and it was crazy happen. to think that where you you just go into an average, not an average neighborhood, but you go into a neighborhood in Lake Oswego, and you see a four million dollar house. I mean. You know, Renaissance sold on Pine Valley. I went to the open. They sold a $4 million house, you know, not, not on when the they, lake. This, when that house, this is a good story. And I'm, I love Randy and I'm proud of him and, and I'm really happy for his success. But I was walking through that very house when it was framed. I called Paul, who I really respect. And I said, Paul, what's the, what's the list price? And he goes, you know, we're thinking 27, 275, mm-hmm. sold it for four. Yeah. Right. And it, <laughs> yeah. the house didn't change. The market yeah. changed while yeah. they were building the house, you know, yeah. and it's just that's the craziness. And that's a beautiful home. It's a dynamite location. But but you just what, those are numbers you that you, you're just like, what? When did this happen? Right. Right. When I heard <laughs> that, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, wow. So then everybody started. But that's what 2021 was about. Everybody started basing their pricing on that. Yeah. So the bar was jumped over, jumped over, jumped over, jumped over. And then and then that's how fast 2021 was moving. It was okay, somebody set the bar. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go over it. And then, you know, all of a sudden things ratchet back. And then we you and you know, we got Tucker's deal. We based that on Pine Valley. Mm-hmm. And, then, and I, you know, I based Toma off Tucker's deal. <laughs> exactly. Right. So we're all doing it. We're all using, you know, and it's instead of using the market as a whole, we were using individual data points as a market. Yeah. Which is crazy yeah. to think, right? Well, and you can, can get away with it until you can't, until the music stops, right? Exactly. And the other funny thing is, think about, so as far as, yeah, going back to to, to comp a place or doing whatever, you had to go back like a matter of hours, not a matter of weeks or months, right? Oh, yeah. It's like, okay, what, what yeah. sold yesterday, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you you like normally you know historically I'd pull six months worth of comps. I'd be looking at stuff six months ago, and I was like, this isn't this isn't accurate today. Is it relevant yeah. anymore? Yeah, but now, but now that's starting so to happen. That's starting opposite. to go the opposite way. Exactly. Now I'm comping six months back, and I'm looking at six months back, and I'm like, I don't think I get that. That's What's not the, relevant what are anymore. The active showing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you're seeing the exact opposite thing, and that's how quickly it shifted, right? Yeah. It's like literally yesterday's data is not relevant, and yeah. it's like okay, well. And it was the same thing on this as it is. I don't yep. want to do that, but you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. Beyond, yeah. beyond three months ago was a completely different market. So when we're we're assessing value, if there's a comp that sold beyond three months ago, it's entirely a different market. And this is like the fourth sort of correction I've lived through. And what you see a lot with brokers is... They say, gosh, you know, I did the comps on this. I comped it right. It is priced perfectly. No showings, time on the market. They're going to need a reduction. And instead of realizing that it's not priced correctly, they're sort of doubling down. Well, maybe I'm going to get drone photography. Maybe I'm going to have it staged. Maybe I'm going to do this. And they just don't know that. So we get all of our information from history. There has not been enough history behind us in our current market to give us a good representation of where we should be priced now, unless you find something that's a very, very recent closing. So I guess with our market, something sold for a lot of money and and it's a week later, you might want to add to that price when our market was jumping. We flattened a little and now we're correcting a little, 
what do you think the rest of 2022 is is going to do? Do you think we're going to continue a little this stall? You know, I I feel almost like I don't want to use the word stall, but I think that's a good word. I just feel like it's a it's it's it is a actually okay, it is a stall because people are sitting and kind of watching and waiting, but there are still the need and want buyer out there, right? People are still buying real estate and there's still there's still a, a desire. There's still, I want to live in Lake Oswego. I want to live in Westland. I want to ri- live on the river, whatever it may be, Dunthorpe. People still want to go there. There's still great neighborhoods and there's still buyers. It's not like another house is never going to sell. So I think this year kind of chills out and just sort of, but because we were moving at the pace that we were, any correction, big or small, is going to feel like a, a, a larger correction just because of the amount of volume that we were doing. You know, I mean, and it's just, and the amount of traffic that was coming through and the amount of buyers that were coming through, the amount of offers we were getting, that was fun. That was an experience, right? To look back on and say, oh my gosh, we, I mean, you we couldn't look at overprice that. a house for a while. And, no. and maybe, maybe in the higher end you could, but, I, but did you, so I just said it was fun, but it was also stressful, right? Uh-huh. Because you're like, okay, pricing is, is really difficult. And then as a buyer's agent, as a listing agent, you're like, okay, I don't want to overprice this thing. And then as a buyer's agent, you're going, I don't want to overbuy this thing, you know, and then you're getting beat out 95 times, you know, out of 96. And then it's like, okay, this is the whole thing is just was, was stressful, but fun. And I think we'll look back on it and learn a lot from it. Remember, we used to always say that we would love to have that Bay Area market, right? And then we got it and we're like, all right, this is cool, but wow, how long can this go? You know, I think the rest of this year, I think it's still a strong marketplace. I do. I think, you know, 6% interest rates, Joe, we were used to. Exactly. You know, that that was great. 6% appreciation year over year, compounding. That was great. You Mm -hmm. know, so why are we looking at this as a negative? We just went through one of the biggest booms that we may ever see. And new bars were set. A lot of people made a lot of money in equity. That's great, right? We're still going forward. We're not going to turn around and go backwards. We're not in a position where 2008 and 10 is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't look at this as a big negative. I look at this as a, hey, let's get back to normal. Let's start thinking differently. Let's calibrate expectations differently and just move forward in a positive light. It's not, if your house doesn't sell in 30 days, the market's not, I mean, it don't, don't panic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quite honestly, months- it's it's a relief for the right. buyers. Right. I've had buyers that, you know, were 0 for 5, 0 for 10, and they were just kind of losing their endurance of hearing bad news again and again and again, especially when you're, you're 150K over ask and you, you know, guarantee the appraisal gap if it's going through a loan and you shorten your inspection or waive it. I mean, there's nothing more you can do, but have the highest price ultimately at the end and, and to lose. And now that is, it's such a gut punch when you lose that too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause you just think I'll, we've done everything we can. I, that's what I would keep saying. We've done everything we can. If someone wants to pay more, let them have it. And they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have this little conversation. There's a lot of psychology involved and, and they have to be okay with setting a limit and walking. And I just said, Hey, look, let's go with your no regrets offer. You know, you love this house, inventory's low, you have a fairly new construction, very nice home, let's say like Oswego, and there's not a lot of new construction, there's not a lot of, you know, beautiful newer 
homes. And if they don't get this one, who knows when the next one's going to come around. I try and tell them crazy money ends up winning the, the beauty contest sometimes. And sometimes you don't want to be the crazy money because we're protective of them. If they sell in five years, can we get them out of it? Are we coaching them to do something stupid? But now homes take a month or two or three on the market, depending on, you know, the higher the price range, the longer. And if you get full price, that's an outstanding deal. And and we don't have to compete with in four days, they set a deadline you have a dozen offers and the best one is a couple hundred grand over ask. Now maybe you get one offer and it might take a few weeks to do it. And full price is perfectly normal today. Yeah. Or coming in $50,000 less and then meeting in the middle and, and then having a normal inspection period, having a normal appraisal finance or contingency, having just normal terms that are healthy and smart. You know, I mean, it's, some of those terms that were out there were that you had to throw in there just didn't feel right. You know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, one thing I appreciated in early June, I joked that the market was going hundred miles an hour and it slowed down to 70 miles an hour. It felt like in June when the fed cranked up the fed funds rates, 75 basis points, it felt that like the fed just pulled the e-brake, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden in a week or two, all price points just got really quiet, not just the high end. You and I had talked about two months ago, Justin, and we were talking about how the high end was was really quiet. And actually, one of the builders I work with invited me to coffee. He wanted to talk it through. And, and there was just a lot of whispering about what was going on. Now, one of the interesting realizations I've had since then, this was in mid-June, let's say, there was a return of seasonality. There's just a return. Schools get schools yeah. getting out. You've got graduations. You've got Father's yeah. Day. There's vacations. The yeah. July Fourth holidays coming up. The trends and are back. Yeah. Th- yeah. yeah. So we're all we're remembering June of 2021, and we're comparing year over year data. RMLS said we're down 25 percent pendings, which is significant. But that's because there was no seasonality then. Right. Heck, well, Christmas Day was busy. You know, right. in 2021. COVID- COVID killed seasonality. COVID killed yeah. trends. Yeah. And, then, and there was no trend and it was just panic. And then, no, you're right. And now it's like, you can feel, you're right. Exactly. It's totally coming back. We talked about that with my team the other day. It's like, okay, this is a normal lull. We have a yeah. lull here after school. We have a lull before school. It's like, all right, you know, and then we have this panic and then we carry through the holidays and December is a big closing month. You well, know, after like, July 4th, we started to see a little uptick in inactivity. Yeah. We started to see an uptick in activity. Another analogy I've been using that I like is, and that I've talked to a couple agents about, it's kind of like our market was like having, you know, three weeks of solid sunshine, right? Like maybe not 90 degrees like today, but you know, 80 degrees sunshine, you have three weeks of it. Okay. Well, all of a sudden storm clouds come in and in comes the rain. You know, during the sunshine, everybody's golfing, everybody's hiking, everybody's in the yard, everybody's out and about, right? Day one, storm clouds come in, there's some rain, okay? Everybody goes inside and everybody's sitting and they're watching Netflix and they're like, I'm not going out there. Day two of rain, same thing. About day three or day four, what happens? You know what? I'm going to put a raincoat on. I'm going to go hit some balls. I'm going to go on a hike. I, I, I live in Oregon. I'm, I'm used to this, right? 
there's an element of that that will happen. You kind of touched on this, Justin, in the housing market, right? When storm clouds come in, and they've been coming in for a few months now, if you think back to the stock market and other stuff, people kind of start to sit on their hands. They're hitting the pause button. What's going on? You know, I'm going to stay in. But at some point, life is happening, right? And you can only stay in for so long. You can only, people are having kids, people are relocating jobs, people are getting divorced, people, you know, everything, everything is happening and you can only withhold demand for so long. And at some point they got to come back into the market and just do something. Now, I do think, again, I, I back to what I said earlier, I don't think the luxury market is quite as impacted by that, by that as perhaps the lower market. I think I think it's a little slower trickle up into that market, but that's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the shelf life of a luxury home right now, whatever that price point may be, is going to be longer, just like everybody else. It's going to be, you know, the listing periods, you know, nothing was staying on the market for very long and now they're going to stay. And so it's just sort of a, you know, let's get used to this and, and you know, sit back and wait for the right buyer. I went to a couple auctions this summer and I've never, well, it's, I would say spring because that's auction season. Yeah. And I'd never seen more money spent on little items. You know, one of them was a school auction and it was like crazy amounts of money blowing out the record that the school had ever gotten before. And, you know, the parking place used to go for 2000. Now it goes for 10,000. You know, it's like, just crazy spending. And I, I looked at that and I was like, okay, this is not normal, right? This is, there has been wealth at this school auction for years and years and years and years. This is absolutely absurd. People have too much money right now, or mm -hmm. they have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And so to temper that and bring that back a bit, to slow that economy a little bit, and to just kind of, you know, to do that and sort of ego check the world or the country you know, they had to do that mm -hmm. for how long? I don't know. I I don't, you know, I hope it's not too long, but it had, that had to, that trajectory was, was, you know, not just real estate. It was, it was people had a lot of money and they were spending it. So they were spending it on real estate. It didn't matter because they had a lot in their pocket. So when things pulled back a little bit, you know, the intention was to do just that and it worked, right? Still, people still have a lot of money though. If you mm -hmm. look at the stock market, what's it at 31,000? I mean, it was at 33, 34,000, 20% off the top. That's a, that's a healthy chunk. But at the same time, people still have a lot of mm -hmm. money, you mm -hmm. know? So they're just going to sit on it a little bit longer and they're going to just, you know, maybe hold in cash or go into something safe. And, you know, real estate is still a very, very safe play. I mean, look at, <laughs> we've doubled a lot of real estate in the last couple of years you know, and those values seem really high, but guess what? In 10 years, they're going to be higher. Five years, they're going to be higher, you know? So it's, it's still a very good play They're You know, God's not making any more dirt. So, you know, you're seeing a lot of infill, you're seeing a lot of change. Builders are spending a lot of money on houses. I still think new construction pulls this market along on a price per square foot and basis, especially in our area, because there just isn't enough of it. Mm -hmm. So I, I just keep going back to, okay, rates are higher, but inventory's not, mm -hmm. you know, it's a little bit different, but it's not monumentally different. And until mm -hmm. that happens, we're not going to see a huge, in my opinion, not a huge ship. Hey, Justin, I want to ask you some specific questions. Like in the last 60 days, have you put 
three plus million dollar deals into escrow? And and if so, how many? I would say three. Okay. Maybe and, maybe maybe four. We've got some stuff off market right now that's I think we've got like 28 million in escrow and several of it are off market. Mm-hmm. Because you know, I, I have some searches set up, like prospect profiles, just to see like what's happening above three and a half million. Because I've got a couple listings there. And I, I and actually my seller gets that too, right? We're just right. watching the entire, and it's actually one of them set up for Southwest Washington, all of you know the, the metro area. And I see anything that comes on, goes pending, price drops. And I'm just not seeing a lot of stuff that's going pending. There's a couple, there's been a couple. There was one on Wembley Park that recently was yeah, 3 million. Sold. It was a renaissance, a white okay. renaissance. It went pending. There's been we a sold, few things. We but, saw the one on Chandler. We have a new construction, which isn't in the, on the market. You know, so there's a couple things out there that are, you know, that yeah. will close till next year yeah. or whatever. So we've got a pretty, you know, over $6 million build job in escrow that'll close next year. So there's a couple of those things, a couple off-market things. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing that's interesting, right? The off-market versus on-market. In the last 18 months, it didn't make sense to do anything off-market, right? Because you got to mm-hmm. test the market. Now, all of a sudden, sellers are a lot more willing to say, you know, hey, if you can bring me something, bring me something, you know? And so uh, things are happening uh, in the shadow market a little bit more than there was certainly in the last year. Contingencies uh, are back too. So contingent on selling, contingent, contingent on selling. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're right there. Yeah. No, you know, you're right. This price is reductions, good... you know, I mean, yeah, you're seeing that stuff, which again, people are being smarter. You know, they know their house isn't going to sell in an hour to go buy that house, you know, but today they can be a little bit smarter. Yeah. The, and, off, and... the off market sales are, are really brilliant right now. It, it wasn't a good play months ago because, you know, there's always that stupid money. Maybe someone comes in way over the top and you do much, much better. But the seller's like, hey, I want to sell, but I want to get my number. The buyer feels fortunate that they're getting the opportunity to see and potentially make an offer on a home without competing and fighting everybody else. I think it's a great way to transfer title. and. You know, I think that's a good focus, especially now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll see more of it for sure. We have a book club on my team. So every two two months, we get together in our office and we 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 pick a book and we we go over, you know, half of it or a third of it in that club. We're doing one right now. It's Think Big, Act Small. I forget the author. I think it's Jason something. But they're not they're not coloring books. <laughs> no. And, and then once in a while, we'll do a romance novel with, with some, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But one of the lines that we went over, and we just did it last Thursday, we got together and had some happy hour in the office. It said that, you know, Darwin's books, Survival of a Species or whatever, his, the species that survive are not the smartest or the strongest. It's the ones that are most adaptive, right? And we kind of talked about that in this environment, right? The agents that are going to survive, the teams that are going to survive are the ones that are paying attention to what's working. They're forgetting what worked two months ago, three months ago, and what's working today. And we kind of jokingly said, I bet right now somewhere out there in this market, some, you know, 
50 agents or 100 agents are taking listings live and they're setting a deadline for Monday to review all offers. And then on Monday, they're going to take that deadline out of the private comments. And, and little, little will they know that they scared away four buyers who might have come otherwise, but their agent said, well, yeah, they're, they're reviewing all offers on Monday. And they go, oh, well, let's go look at some other houses, right? And that's the kind of adaptation that, that we were talking about. So, I mean, like what we've been doing is the exact opposite of that. Like we're downplaying other interest in the house, not, not in a deceptive way, but, but we're definitely not putting our chests out and, and saying, yeah, we're, you know, we're, there's a bunch of interest. And some of this, honestly, it feels like 2017, 2018 again. It's not that long ago that, that those were prudent strategies was don't scare away the one buyer that might buy it by talking about the second buyer that's looking at it, right? Yeah, I You know. can be honest to say there's other interest in the house, but don't say, yeah, four people are getting ready to write because that's a quick way to suddenly realize nobody's writing. <laughs> You're right. I know. I know you got to be careful what you say, and you just got you and and the the thinking has to shift very quickly. You know, hey, yeah. he's back. I'm back. Gosh, it's difficult jumping in on you guys when you can't see that my mouth is opening. I we were on video and my video went out. Uh, my you didn't have a beard one. before, did you? Like when we started this, you were clean shaven, weren't you? I did. You know, for a moment, <laughs> I thought I was just listening to a podcast, but uh, good, interesting stuff. You know, one of my favorite things is is when someone says, hey, we're reviewing offers on Tuesday at 8 p.m. on such and such a date, and they forget to remove it in the private yeah. remarks. Yeah. And that was like from 45 days ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. still on the market, a couple of reductions in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But we're still reviewing offers. Yeah, that's right. But yeah. what's funny is it feels like what's what's old is new and what's new is old, right? Like some of the stuff that we've been around for a while and, and some of the stuff that we were doing in, in 17, 18 is, is starting to come into play again. You know, Tucker and I always used to talk about in, in 15, 16, 17, we were in a good market, right? But you would have ebbs and flows to that good, right? Mm-hmm. You would have, it felt like you would have these runs where sellers were doing this. This house sold for this much, so I'm going to go this much. Neighbors saw that and they go for this much. But then there'd be a stopping point and then it would hit a max and then things would get a little bit quiet that's the that's the ebb and then and then a little bit later it started happening again and at one point Tucker and I during the, during covid you know one of those podcasts we go that's not happening anymore like it's just building on each other continuously and i think there's a little of that now now there's a little bit of an ebb and flow right there's and we're definitely feeling that now well, you know, well it goes back it goes back to the data though we didn't have data from the current market and that's how close we are to the past market right we had no data now that we're 30 or 45 days past we're starting to compile some data that what people will pay in the new rate environment mm-hmm. so now we have something to go off of. that's great that's a good point well, before there was nothing to go off of so you're like okay well where's this going to go Who, who's going to pay what and how much you know what are they going to do I mean, there's just, it just, it makes sense that now there's data compiling and you could actually look back on it and make sense of that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. use it. Price reductions. I mean, gosh, we're 
having conversations about price reductions, we didn't have those for a couple of years, right? Yeah. I mean, it was pretty rare. I remember in 16, 17, I mean, it was like muscle memory. You just, you, okay, so this is happening. Here's why reducing, you know, you get the same questions. We've all heard them, right? I, I guarantee you've heard them a thousand times. Well, if, if I'm priced at 3 million and I'm really worth 2.5, why don't they just offer 2.5? How many sellers say that, right? They all <laughs> think that. But it's always wrong. And you have your script for like, nope, that's not how it works. You're you're being viewed through a different weight class at this price. When you're at three million, they're looking at the other three millions and you're not, you're not looking good. If we get you down to 2.5, now they're comparing you to the other 2.5s and, and, and you, you can stand out. I mean, so these are conversations that are suddenly coming back to us. It's it's interesting. One other thing. In this environment, I mean, you got to take care of your, you got to take care of your sellers week yeah. after week. You got to keep them happy. I was telling my team uh, last Thursday in, in, in our listing meeting, I was like, there's two components to getting a paycheck with a listing right now is you need a seller that needs to sell. Must sell is your, is your friend. And, you know, a vacant house is the best friend there. And you need to keep them happy. You need to keep them happy week after week after week until it sells. Well, and I, as I tell people all the time that every day they drive home and they drive by that sign and they wonder what's going on, mm -hmm. right? They're going to drive by your sign and they're going to wonder, what did you do for me today? What are you doing to sell my house? The sign is a great attractor of attention, but it also is the, is the last thing they say, see before they walk in the door. Yeah. Right? So they're going to wonder, what did they do today for me? So, yep. you know, and daily contact is, is, you know, almost impossible, but it's just, you know, staying in front of people. Proactive saying, yeah, pro proactive is the, the key word there. People it, just whatever want you people. do needs to be exactly proactive. They want to know that, they're, that you're working for them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you got to take the wonder out of it, right? If, if there's no news and three days go by, they're like, gosh, you know, the weather's great. There's lots of fun golf tournaments and, you know, is, is, is my person out there like golfing and, you know, water skiing and booze cruising and doing fun stuff? Or are they doing something for me? And a simple text or a call or an email, well-placed at the right time, will just say, hey, you know what? They checked in. That means they're still on top of it. And, yeah. and it's, it's too easy. Necessary. It's too easy to do that, you know? And it's hard. You know, the vacant house, I think, is the hardest one to sell because the person doesn't live there. It's being shown. I think the vacant house is the hardest one to communicate with because they don't know what's going on because mm -hmm. they're not there. Right. Mm -hmm. And I always found that that one needs the most attention because I agree. Yeah. They have no clue who's going in and out of that door, especially mm -hmm. if they've moved across the country or down to California or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, one positive is the sellers know what's going on in this market. I can't understate how I appreciate that this time around. There's been other ebbs and flows in the market in recent years. If you guys recall in 18, I think it was 18, we we kind of ticked up to 5% and things got a little bit eerily quiet and things were sitting pretty long, but sellers didn't know and and, and things were sitting and, and you had to explain to them why they were sitting. Every listing appointment I've gone to for the last 60 days, I don't lead with this, but at some point in the process when we're talking about pricing and stuff, and sometimes they bring it up. Other times I just go, you know, the market's changed and it's getting a little funky, right? And every time they go, absolutely. Yes, we do. Yes, we know that. Yes, 1,000%. Well, you know, the media drives a lot of that, right? So when the yeah. media was was hyping the crazy, urgent market, that's all you heard about, right? Low supply, high demand, low rates, that's all you heard about. 
Well, now all of a sudden the media is saying what we are saying because we're seeing it. You know, what's going on with this housing market? Here's an article about trends. Here's an article about rates. Here's why it's going down. Here's what. So people read that stuff. There's an article every day in every news outlet that's, that's talking about real estate and how the how real estate has changed. So you can't ignore that. And mm-hmm. if you do ignore that, then you're not living in reality. It helps us though, right? On the listing oh, side, yeah, yeah. it helps us. Yeah, it would be, it would be, I think it would be problem. Now it hurts us a little on the buyer side. I get that. But it, yeah. the positive is, it takes a little pressure off us individually because they're seeing that it's a trend, a macro trend, not just yeah. us, not just their house. So that I think that's been a that's been a, a positive. And I think people are not quite sure what's going to happen. So it's not like you know high tide, low tide. We're kind of in this slack water, and you know sellers are like, well, hey, you know the peak was sometime in the past. We don't know if we're going to see that again. And the buyers are kind of like waiting around thinking, let's see what happens. There's a lot of people saying, hey, let's see what happens and see which way the trend's going. And that'll dictate whether I buy or sell in the near future. And then we're getting mixed messages from the news and social media. People are adamant and they're saying, hey, if you think our market is going to crash, you have another thing coming. This is just a little blip, but we're going to keep appreciating. So those of you that are waiting on the sidelines, it's not going to get better for you. And then we have people stating the exact opposite. Yeah, I know. It's who do you believe? I know. And and there's always the doom and gloom and there's always the really eccentric, you know, thought and all that stuff. But if you just look down the middle, we're not in a bad spot. Well, you know. the reality is, I personally think the market is probably, okay, it could correct and it could go down 20%. That takes us back to early 21. Right? Right. <laughs> Everyone's still going to have a ton of equity. There's not going to be massive, massive foreclosures. And even if you buy tomorrow and it does that, if you're there five years back to your point, Justin, you're still going to be okay. Or 10 years from now, you're still going to be okay. If you're buying your personal residence and you're, you plan to be there for a while, Shoot. Do you, do you remember this? And I, I heard this the other day and I and I I chuckled because it cracked me up. Do you remember that after 2010 and 12, you'd always hear the banks are going to release a bunch of foreclosures that they've been holding. Shadow inventory. Shadow and that's inventory. gonna and that's gonna tank the market. That never happened, right? Yeah. It yeah. never happened. There was never this big, huge glut of inventory that the bank was holding on to that was gonna crash the market. It never yeah. happened, you know. I mean, yep. it's, so you hear stuff all the time that's that's made up. It's just sort of folklore, and it it spreads through different groups, and it scares people who it's intended to scare. People have a ton of equity, so I mean, there, even, there's a lot of room to lower prices as needed and not have foreclosures, which is very, very different, right? And so, yeah. It it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to watch. I agree with you. There's there is a lot of healthy components to it, and I think I think as the months go by, you know, and and obviously no one has a crystal ball because everything's fluid. Anything can change, right? I mean, something new could an asteroid could hurt Earth. That's probably going to hurt the real estate market if that happens. (laughs) But I mean, but I think every month that goes by, people will come out of the woodwork who have must buy situations. You know, and they'll start kicking tires and it's going to be a more normal process. Well, like you said, we have Americans have amnesia. 
right? You have things that happen. COVID's a good indicator where you're stuck at home for a little while. And then all of a sudden you come out the thunderstorm or the storm clouds is another analogy where, okay. Then all of a sudden you forget about the storm and you don't care. You forget about COVID and it's like, all right, that's in the past. All of these things, COVID was just the longest lasting that we've seen in a long time, you know, and, and 2008 and 10, same thing, you know, real estate was a four letter word during that period, right? There was 12 signs on every street. And it was a nightmare. You couldn't get rid of a house if you tried. Look at what just happened. Real estate was the greatest thing in the world. It's going to ebb and flow, like you said. It's going to change here and there, but it is still an unbelievable asset. It's still an unbelievable industry. It is still going to be here and it's going to be here forever. So it's, I just look at this, some of these, you know, the stock. I don't want to get into it. Some of the technology stuff that you can buy that is in thin air. Crypto, Crypto, you know, stuff yeah. like that. It's like, yeah. it's, it's in thin air. You don't know what yeah. it is. And real estate is the safest play long-term. You know, yeah. those are the fun things. Let's go, let me go throw a little bit of money into that and see what happens. Like gambling on a horse, you mm-hmm. know, it's it's kind of fun. See what happens. But your best bet has been what we've got, what we're selling. You know, I mean, it's always It's going to thin way. the herd for sure in our industry. And I think that's a great thing. I think that's a great thing. The pros... The, the, you know, it's the Warren Buffett saying, you know, when the tide goes out, you see who's skinny dipping, right? I mean, you're, you're going to see the people that didn't have good, solid systems, good, solid marketing, good, a good foundation. Do you know, for years and years, we, every week, every one of our listings gets a little report from us. It's a, it's a pretty well done email that, that comes from me. My teammates helped me put it together and send it as me saying, you know, here's, here's the showings, here's the feedback, here's the view counts, here's, you know, everything going on this week, right? Talking about keeping your sellers happy. Do you know, Nicole Ducart was on my team for, she, she joined my team in June. It was during COVID, early days of COVID, July of 2020. Somewhere in early 21, she, she made a comment in one of our meetings. She's like, oh, I've never had one of those go out on one of my listings. She's <laughs> like, what do those look like? Yeah. For, so for six months, I mean, she'd been on my team for quite some time, had a bunch of listings. She'd brought some in, some that I'd put her on. She'd never need, she'd never had a listing last more than a week. Yeah, there wasn't time. You didn't have time to get it out. This right. last yeah. week, we sent 20 of those out. Yeah. Okay. But but we had the system. We knew what they were. We, we have, and, and we're returning to our fundamentals of keeping sellers happy. And I think there's going to be a segment of agents in our business that just don't know how to do that. And they're, they're scrambling to do that. And it's not the best time to be figuring stuff out because there's a lot of other challenges at the same time, right? Stop writing down my idea to do it later, Justin. Yeah. No, I'm writing down. You, re- you reminded me to do something. Um, yeah. I got to retrain, retrain on how to make a flyer. That's our well, new market. It, and the thing is, is that's well said, Steve, but it, it's true when you don't understand. I mean, we've been in this business 20 plus years, you know, each of us, and you've seen, like Joe said, four different corrections. You've seen four different and, and which one was more extreme and how you reacted and what you did when it was extreme high, when it was extreme low. And you probably stuck to your fundamentals and adapted, like you said earlier, Steve. So as a business person in the industry, you you have figured out a way to calmly react, underreact to what is happening, right? Mm-hmm. And if you haven't been through that and you see a big correction, you will overreact. Mm-hmm. And that overreaction is where 
like you said, Joe, instead of pushing on price, you go spend your marketing money that is going to go fall on deaf ears, potentially. Mm -hmm. So that's the overreaction where I'm going to go all in, I'm going to dump it into new video staging, blah, blah, blah. And then I lose the listing to somebody who comes in and says, hey, let's take a $500,000 haircut. Yeah. You know? And you've, exactly spent, right. you've spent 10 grand of your marketing budget and you're no longer selling what you were selling before. And now you're in trouble because, you know, things have changed. So it's it's a calm underreaction and watching. And the bottom the bottom line is experience. You know? And I think fiscal responsibility too. I think, yeah. and Justin, you and I offline, and we'd never say names, but we've we've commented on people in our industry that are probably going to be challenged at times like this, where you you just kind of know they're 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 running they're living paycheck to paycheck, running to their their principal broker, grabbing their check and running it to the bank to, you know, people that are newer in the business, they've never seen hard times, and they've never made money so fast. And they they've learned because one thing one thing I learned a long time ago through my own challenges of similar situations is you can spend money faster and you can make it. I don't care how much it is. Elon Musk is proving that <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to the world today. You can spend money faster and make it. And and when that's happening, you can kind of patch things together until something like today happens. So that's part of the equation of when the tide goes out, you see who's skinny dipping. You're also going to see those who were living beyond their means, maybe didn't have savings. And they're, when all of a sudden you're worried about paying your mortgage or paying your car payment, you're not taking care of your sellers, right? right. Not in the yeah. right way, not in the right way anyway, or you're not prospecting or you're not doing your day-to-day -day activities and things start to collapse quickly. So I think you know, experience is hugely key, but also, you know, not going into a time like this, you know, in a bad spot, I think, or if you're, in, and if you're in a bad spot, you know, doing what you can to correct it, but some things can, and some things can't be corrected quickly. Yeah. What's, yeah. what's nice. What's nice about this podcast is everything we talk about is sort of immortalized, right? People can like fact check us on what we were talking about six months ago and a year ago in our predictions. And I remember Many, many, many months ago, we're telling people to hone your school skills, master your craft, understand what you're doing, build systems, systems run businesses, and, and you know, you really have to be on top of it. The people that are kind of looking at the market now and thinking, wow, I really need to step up my game and all of a sudden be smart and educated and professional, and, and it's too late. They're going to be going back to whatever job they came from to come to real estate. Yeah, I think we talked about this in the last time we talked and that was the the technicians that are out there and and I remember Jan Kaplaner used to always say that we're going to be great technicians and I and I it's true. Today people are literally filling in fields on a on a on a zip form, not writing an offer, they're filling in fields. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, it's scary. Some of the stuff that comes across and you're like, <laughs> okay, where did you copy and paste that one from? You know, I mean, they don't know anything. They don't know what the contract says. They just know how to fill in the fields. And that is where things need to change. Right. And that's where you need to thin the herd and, and people need to be better technicians. Cause it's not about, that was just the, that was a speed of the market thing, right. Where you could get by as a broker doing that. But well, you can't get by as a broker doing that when the market shifts. Mm -hmm. Exactly right.
Hey, you made me think of something too. We one of the thing other things we talked about recently on our team. I made I, it, somebody corrected me. I was I was I I made the comment. We were talking about listings and keeping sellers happy and and you know and making sure we're aligned with you know good sellers that that need uh need to sell as much as humanly possible. And I said it's more work to work with sellers now. We are going to work and we're going to earn their paycheck. And somebody chimed in. They go, but it's less work for buyers, Steve. And I was like, you're right. So the business has shifted, right? Mm-hmm. We're across the board. We the work might even out, but we were running around, you know, making ten offers for every buyer, and then this listing's flying uncontrollably off the shelf. It's going to now ease even out. There's going to be more work over here, but it's less work over here. So yeah, we appreciated that. That was cool. Yep, that's the balance, right? Yeah. Well, this well, is great. It, it looks like we're around an hour and a half. Do you guys have any final wrap up comments? We're at an hour, but Oh, Did yeah, you ask, but, but you that's okay. An hour, hour's good. Hour's good. Yeah, Justin, what's going on with the lake? What's going on with the public access and how's that fight going? So I was just recently named the president of the Lake Corporation. So I am in the know as far as everything that's going on. But on so what happened is in 2012, I'll give you a quick synopsis of the whole thing. In 2012, there was that Occupy movement, right? Occupy everything. Mm-hmm. And so there was this big Occupy Lake Oswego movement and they was on social media and all this stuff. And, and they were going to occupy the lake from the steps at Millennium Park. Right. Because that's the only city owned piece of property, city park that touches the lake. So the city adopted very quickly the rule where you could not access the lake from any city property. So it was an ordinance. I can't remember exactly what the ordinance was called, but that's what started everything. So then down the road, a guy named Kramer and a guy named Todd Prager, Prager's a citizen. He was on the planning commission and Kramer is a, he's a professor of law at Lewis and Clark. So he had an army of lawyers that could work on this for free as education, right? So, or lawyers to be. They sued the city, not the Lake Corporation. They sued the city over this access issue. Later on in life, later on down the road, the Lake Corporation joined the lawsuit in support of the city. So it's not a it's not a us versus them. It was it was really them versus the city. So in 2014, we our lawyers, the Lake Corporation's lawyers, uncovered some communication between then representative Linegar, who was the current judge, literally, she was presiding over this this case. She and Kramer communicated about legislation that would bolster the case of, you know, getting the lake to be public. So she was not a judge at the time. She was a state representative. Kramer was the attorney for the plaintiff. And they they communicated about that. They didn't disclose that until they did not disclose that at the initial argument when phase one started. So a few weeks ago, our attorneys uncovered this and went back and said, all right, Judge Linegar, now Judge Linegar and Kramer did not disclose this conversation. It should have been disclosed. That means she should be disqualified as the judge going into phase two. Well, Monday, yesterday, was it yesterday? Today's Tuesday, today's Wednesday. On Monday, I was on the hearing on Zoom and the presiding judge said, 
yes, she is disqualified. Oh, nice. So that's a big judgment. That's a big ruling, huh? It's a big ruling. So it will go, a new judge will be assigned. And then from there, you know, they'll argue, you know, mistrial versus start over versus whatever. It's definitely kicked down the road quite a It's kicked down the road quite a ways. It was a big, at the very least, if not, not, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Interesting. Great timing. I knew there was something coming up in July. I didn't even know it was Monday. Wow. It was supposed yeah. to be phase two. Phase two was supposed to be in July. And that was going to be because Linegar had ruled that waters of the state are to be public. And really based on, and the way she did that was she it was precedent setting. You know, it wasn't based on precedent. It was precedent setting. And so literally our, our attorneys were like, how did she just do that? <laughs> you know, so she had an agenda. And, Clearly, I don't want to say that, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it felt like that. So anyway, so that, so that, yeah, I don't want to say that, but, sure. but, it, but, you know, it just, it just didn't feel like we got the, we got the short end of that stick and certainly, so now she's out and we got to wait for a new judge and see what happens. When they communicated, did they know she would be a judge anymore involved or no? no it was just completely set. I don't think so. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. What the issue was was she's a state representative. They went to her. That's perfectly normal. They didn't disclose that they had that relationship and that conversation in 2014. And the timing was that the lawsuit was already going on, right? It was it was in the middle of the suit, not being argued in front of a judge. Further down the road, she is now the judge and they didn't disclose that conversation. If she had disclosed that conversation, she probably wouldn't have been the judge for the to begin. Could have been recused or something. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's where the hmm. you know, interesting. Yeah. So that's a that's a big win for for those on the lake. Yeah. That's, so it'll you know it'll cool. be a long time. Whatever happens, will you know I'm sure there'll be lots more to talk about down because the there was a lot of momentum I, I i the latest stuff i was reading as recently as a couple of weeks ago it felt like the city of lake oswego was kind of getting like we're tired of fighting this for you guys like right well, would you agree with that like the city of lake oswego is kind of done they're like yeah i'll tell you what though their attorneys did a heck of a job with this last piece they were really impressive and they fought and they they were it was very i was very impressed Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. fought alongside with our attorney but yeah no i was i was really impressed with the city and you know it's hard when you're you've got a lot of citizens that that to deal with and the lake you know there's what there's 3300 people that have access to the lake through easements there's 965 homes that have access to the lake directly and then there's 4500 people who have swim access at the swim park so that's that's twelve thousand. Why is it only forty five hundred? I thought the entire city has access at the swim park. It's a weird zone. It was Lake Grove. It's called Lake Grove Swim Park. So Lake okay. Grove somehow zoned this thing. Okay, it goes all okay. the way up into part of Mountain Park on Botticelli, and then comes down around some of West. Interesting. Lake okay, I thought it was everybody uh, in Lake Oswego. Okay. No, huh. I don't know how loose they are. I don't think yeah. they say. I don't think yeah. when you show up as a, with a student ID, they say, "Show me where you live." Yeah, but that's it. but you have actually access to it. So. 4,500 plus 900, I don't know, 975 homes plus 3,300 easement members. You know, that's 12,000 people. That's a third of the city who has access to the lake. So it's an important asset. It's not just about the people who live on the lake. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you and you when you and I talked about this offline one, there was an original component to the body of water that was natural, but there's a lot that's been added to it. And that well, it was just all it was it, was a creek. Yeah. yeah. All it was yeah. was a creek that ran down from the Tualatin River to the Willamette River and it eddied up at Waluga Lake, which was, you know, at Phantom Bluff right there. And Oregon Iron and Steel Company came in and expanded it and made it a lake and platted Lake Oswego. The only area in question, the only area for somebody to get on the lake, which are those steps at Millennium Park, which is what the whole lawsuit is about. Millennium Lakewood Bay, which those steps are on, didn't exist until the 50s. Yeah, that's man-made. It wasn't even even there. That's where the judge, you know, sort of took a step, a leap of faith where she just said, you know, we're saying it didn't exist. So why could it be navigable for title, which is what the whole argument's about. It didn't exist. So we created it, or sorry, the Lake Corporation created it, Oregon Iron and Steel created it. How is it now public? Because it wasn't even a thing. Yeah. Yeah. You can't get to the part. (laughs) There's no public access to the part that was originally navigable. Right. Other than the man-made part at Lakewood Bay. And and it's all about at statehood. So at statehood, it wasn't even there. It was a marsh, you know? I mean, it was just, it's so it's just crazy, but yeah. Yep. It's well, been very interesting a, to be a part of it. It's been an education, one that I've really enjoyed, but I'm really impressed with the board at the Lake Corp, Jeff Ward, who is our general manager, and with the city attorneys. They've been they've been incredible. Cool. Cool. Well, that's that's fr- hot off the press is what they would say in the old days, right? That's hot yep. off the press information. I, I knew you were going to get on here. We we're going to talk about it a little bit. I, I I was wondering to myself, I said, there's something going on in July, but we also are, you know, two third only two thirds through. So I wasn't sure if it happened yet, but it happened on Monday. Yeah. So, yeah. so this is definitely at pause at the very least, maybe even, you know, who knows where it goes oh, yeah. from there. It, it'll be a while before yeah. things restart. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, Justin, we love having you on. Thank you for making time. You're a busy guy. We know that. And this is awesome. Our our listeners are going to love this. This will, a lot of are going to watch it either they watched it live or they're going to, you know, watch the recording on masters and it'll be put out as a podcast, probably Monday sent out to, we have an email blast that goes out to, you know, over 10,000 agents and across the region. And yeah, awesome. so this will add a lot of value to a lot of people. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. I always learn something from you guys and I really appreciate you having me back on. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Good show. Right, guys. Thanks, Justin. If you're listening to this and like what you hear, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Portland Real Estate Podcast, Oregon and Washington's number one show for cutting edge real estate discussions. Also, I'd like to give a shout out to the members of Masters in Real Estate, a private and exclusive Facebook group, and the number one source for all real estate topics. Thanks for being there, gang. I love you. Finally, I want to thank our faithful listeners. Without an audience, we're just two guys talking to each other. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so the new episodes automatically come to you. Make it great.